If you want to crush your quota, you're in the right place. My first year in sales, I sold $758,000 on a $150,000 quota, and that was just the beginning. I'm your host, Mary Grothy. I'm a former number one B2B mid-market SaaS sales rep turned CEO. I've sold millions in revenue, broken multiple records, and now I run a company that rebuilds revenue engines and creates top sales performance. This isn't a show about achieving quota. This isn't about being okay in sales. This is about being number one and learning what it takes to crush your quota. I always feel like I showed up to sales a little bit differently than the people that I sold with and even my competition. I've always felt that I didn't want to be the salesperson, Mary, and then the human being, Mary. Sometimes I felt like I needed to be a certain way as a salesperson. I had a lot of sales coaching and training, especially before I went into sales, preparing for that. And I thought I had to be a certain way. I had to master those transition statements. I had to read my list of questions. I had to do trial closing. And I started to realize that some of that felt unnatural. However, I I understand the foundation and fundamentals of it, which were important. As I became a little bit more natural in sales, I identified that, well, I'm really just being myself. And come to find out, you could be the human being that you already are and be fantastic in sales. And that's going to be our topic today just why being human and bringing yourself to the sales conversation, maybe not just your list of discovery questions, is one of the most important things you can do. And we'll we'll also center around talking about empathy and why empathy and selling matters and how you can embrace that. I'm not going to talk about this by myself today. I've brought on an absolutely brilliant guest. Her name is Jordana Zeldin. She's a sales coach. She is the founder of Spring Training and Spring has two eyes. She will tell you why in a moment. She's one of our featured sales coaches and trainers on salesbq.com. You can read about her, learn about her, what she's all about, submit the form. Hey, I want to have a conversation. She may change your sales career forever. Well, chances are she probably would, but not not may. She will. But she's (laughs) that's just my certain fact here. But as the founder of Spring Training, it's it's a coaching consultancy that helps sellers leverage their humanity. Oh, how beautiful. To become more effective sellers and build richer, more open relationships with their prospects. She has coached sellers from the Fortune 100 to startups, <laughs> teams of one, probably working with those super pesky annoyed CEOs and founders that think they're the world's best salesperson. I might know one because I am one. Empowering them to develop increased confidence and the tactical skills that make the biggest impact on sales results and sales happiness. Like, did you know you could be happy in sales and this could be the most fulfilling career if you actually brought your natural self to it? Well, that is Jordana's superhuman talent and bringing that out in salespeople and her results follow. It is truly tremendous. Welcome to the Quota Crusher podcast. What an introduction, Mary. Thank you so much. I am so glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. I'm glad because, sorry, you're stuck with me for the next 25 (laughs) minutes. So I'm glad you're happy. Hey, tell our audience your story. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. The story of my career in sales has in large part been a story of the evolution of realizing that I could indeed bring myself into my selling and that it would be super fulfilling and happy making and also bring in a lot of revenue. Um, You know, I'm one of the many people who accidentally tripped and fell into sales. My whole background is in the art world. I was directing theater. I was running an arts nonprofit in New York City. And there was this very cool art technology company, a venture-backed 
art tech company that was hiring its first B2B sales team. And they needed people who were fluent in art speak and who, who could talk to um, who at the time was our kind of ICP, which were gallerists. And that was one of the buzziest companies in the art world and in tech. And I would have been happy to do absolutely anything at that company. And I interviewed and I landed on the sales team there. Um, I had no hard sales skills to speak of. <laughs> um, and I also felt, you know, in my gut, kind of uncomfortable with the idea of being a salesperson. I felt a little embarrassed about it. I remember being very proud to tell people that I worked at Artsy, but feeling a little kind of nervous about telling them that, that I was a salesperson. And for the first kind of year or so, I did okay. But I also, like you, Mary, like had the sense that seller Jordana and Jordana Jordana were two different people. So mm -hmm. I kind of, you know, would come into work and and leave myself at the door and, you know, perform the part that I thought I needed to perform in order to be successful in sales. No surprise, you know, I was not the most wildly successful sales person, you know, employing that approach. And it wasn't until about a year and a half into our team's development that the company brought on a really emotionally intelligent head of sales who came with the kind of radical idea that know who we are, like exactly who we are, imperfect, vulnerable, silly, competent, us, like we were the people that belonged in our conversations. And it was like, um, you know, right person, right time to hear that right message. And I removed the mask and it was like everything, everything changed. And I started to feel happier in my selling. I was way more successful, found it so much more rewarding. My numbers went through the roof. I became the top performer on the team. And then not long after, I found myself finding a lot of joy from helping to empower and grow the confidence and skills of others. And that's really when I decided that I wanted to kind of dig my heels in and, and commit to sales coaching full time. So that's kind of my journey. Mm, so powerful. And I love it because I used to be this monster salesperson, super competitive. I was in my 20s. And I just thought I had everything to prove. I played with a chip on my shoulder. I mm. was kind of a monster in some situations. I just, I was really raised in this culture of you have to do everything to win, 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 win. And right, it was, common. it's hard. It was like steamrolling over internal people. And I wasn't the best version of myself, even though I found a lot of success in sales. Like I could also just be like, well, I wasn't really the greatest person back then. When I took a break from that career to pursue entrepreneurship, I really softened and became a whole being and realized that for years I was putting on the sales hat and doing sales. But then I just came mm. to the conclusion, I am a salesperson. I don't do sales. It's just who I am. I, I was born this way. I'm a natural at it. I love the profession. I love everything about it. And when I started to trust in the skills that I had just internally to connect with humans and genuinely care about solving their problems, my second round at a sales career, I actually showed up as a really nice person, really welcoming, wow. really wow. great teammate, came forth with all of that EQ and empathy and just desire to make everyone's life better because I was in it and I loved taking that role. And wow, the second round as a top performing salesperson felt a lot better, but I was also a lot truer to who I was and I was just yeah. humble and committed. And I think understanding empathy, it just transformed everything. You've probably seen in some of the coaching that you do, 
hardened sellers that believe it has to be a certain way. How would your coaching or your approach with that person who just has this perception of, but I do sales, so therefore I show up this way. How do you start working with that person to gain the belief that really who they are is (laughs) probably better in the sales conversation than the way that they've maybe been trained or taught of how to do sales? Well, that that is such a good question. And I find that it really comes back to like the fundamentals of human relationships and human needs, just universally, even like outside of the selling conversation. Um, you know, it it's interesting, like, you know, I, I was leading the other day a, a, a workshop called Empathy-Based uh, Prospecting. Mm. And, you know, one of, one of the interesting things that we as sellers, you know, and this is just how our, our industry and how our teams are often set up, you know, we're so focused on our goals, our metrics, our KPIs, like right, our, our revenue targets. And if we can for one moment, just like one moment, put ourselves in the shoes of our prospects, let's say when we're cold calling them, are they thinking about us? Like, probably not. Are we interrupting something? Yes. Are they maybe even disappointed to hear that it's us when they pick up the phone? Yes. Then all of that has to radically impact our behavior. And if, you know, if someone is not psychologically or emotionally in a place where they're ready to buy, we as sellers, like it's our job to prime them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so often, you know, cold callers or, you know, um, SDRs think, all right, I've gotten permission to speak. Now it's my time to sell. But it's like, no, 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 we, we've got to acknowledge where they're at, use our empathy and say something like, you know, I realize I'm calling you completely out of the blue, right? But I'm calling for good reason. Um, do you mind if I tell you why I called? And if it doesn't feel relevant, we can get right back to it, right? Acknowledging their circumstances, not just our needs and, and our scripts, and then giving them the autonomy. Like autonomy is such a, a vitally important thing that we should be giving our prospects at every stage of the conversation, which means like they're free. They're free to say no. They're free to say they're not interested because autonomy, again, it's one of these like very fundamental, universal human needs. And if we can meet those very human needs, Again, the ones that we have just as human beings, not just in the selling conversation, at every point in the sales conversation, we are going to be forming you know, better prospect relationships and ultimately having better sales outcomes. Agreed. So we all have needs as humans. And I would love for the listeners right now to think about how you buy things or something that you purchased recently. What was the need? What was the emotion that you were feeling? What was the outcome you had already envisioned? that you would have? What were you dreaming of? And how good of a job did the salesperson do in meeting that need for you? And how did you feel valued through the experience or conversation? Did you feel heard? Did you feel heard. like you got to contribute? Um, or or were you dictated to? Were you just told what was happening? Were you dumped a bunch of products and features and then you kind of had to go through that information and make your own conclusions and decisions on it? How, how, when you walked away from the conversation, did you feel empowered? Did you feel an emotional connection that that person was actually committed to helping you get uh, to the desired future state or not? And then ask yourself on the last sales meeting that you ran, what kind of experience did you create for the prospect? What- yes, ex- ex- exactly. No, I was just going to say, and like even we often forget too, and this is just like fundamentally human, that going into a conversation with a total stranger, right, a salesperson, 
And you're being expected as a prospect to open up about your kind of deepest, darkest business challenges and problems. Like that in itself is not the safest of circumstances that you can find yourself in. So we often as sellers assume like, okay, we have the right inherently because we're salespeople to learn about our prospects challenges and and their goals and their hopes and dreams. But it's like, no, we not only have to earn the right to sell our product, we also have to earn the right to hear those challenges. And how much attention are we paying as sellers to creating a psychologically safe enough space, safe enough that our prospects feel like, okay, this is someone that I can really open up to, be real with, and let them in on really vital parts of our business. Do you have a way of teaching that or breaking it down of how somebody could accomplish that in their own awareness in the early stages of a sales conversation? Or do you have, if it's not like a simplified equation, like do these three things, you know, this plus this equals this, if it's not that, of how does someone bring in awareness so that they can temperature check themselves to know if they are creating that experience for the prospect? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. And, you know, I I teach an agendas framework, which is designed to kind of tap into that. It's called disarm. And I'm not going to walk through the entire framework. But, you know, typically we think about agendas as like a checklist of things that we're going to talk about, right? Um, But to my mind, agendas can actually help to telegraph like what the dynamic of the relationship is going to be. Like, how are we going to be together? Not just what are we going to talk about together? And there's some really subtle things that we can start to do, even in something as straightforward as an agenda that can begin to telegraph that this is like a collaborative conversation where we're genuinely interested in our prospects' needs and desires and interests and goals and where we want transparency to be the kind of guiding principle of the conversation. And I'll, I can walk through some of some of those um, those kind of tactics, Mary, if yeah, it would be helpful. Yeah, I think it would be helpful. Yeah. So first of all, you know, agendas, one of the reasons a lot of sellers don't use them is, is they fear they're too formal or they're too rigid and kind of driving and dictatorial. And they can be, but one of the ways that I found a really easy way to soften an agenda and begin to signal that more collaborative dynamic is to remove all of the I focus language, right? And often in an agenda, we're saying, next, I want to do this. Then I want to hear from you about this. Then from there, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And it, to insert some more collaborative language, like it'd be great it, you know, together it'd be great to discuss or from there we can and next let's figure out together, right? So simply swapping out, you know, I, me focus language, which, which suggests that the agenda is really in service of the seller for kind of we and you focus language, collaborative and prospect focus language can start to help to lay the groundwork in a very subtle way that this isn't about me, the seller, it's about us as a team. So that's just one super easy swap to make. Agendas can Um, definitely feel rigid. I mean, I just feel like it started being taught uh, several years back. And so there's like people that show up to the meeting and it is so structured. You're like, well, the salesperson just put their sales hat on and they just set the structure. But there's a way to do it that is so collaborative and agreeable. And I've even started this. I want your opinion on this before you go into the next tactic. So I started trying something new where I actually build the agenda with the person in the opening of the call. So I'll start with how I want to start out today. And I guess I use an art. I don't say the I, cause I do eliminate those. So I, I, I'm trying to think of the exact phrase that I use, like to start out, we can 
quickly review uh, who we are introductions. I brought on two people from IT. It looks like you have two on yours. I'd love to go around so we all know who's here. And then I'd love to hear from you what your big expectations are for this meeting today because I want to know what we need to cover in order for you to walk away from this saying everyone on my team had their expectations met. So if you could help fill that in for us, I think it would be really beneficial just to make sure we're aligned. And if there's anything you don't mention that our team was hoping to get, I'll make sure to add that line item. Are you okay with that approach? And then it's working really well because then their team feels like- Oh, thank goodness. We're not going to have to sit here and listen to an hour presentation where we're sold to the entire time. And the collaboration starts in the beginning. It sounds like you think that's a decent approach. I mean, I'll, I'll take your feedback <laughs> right here. It's an, on no, the it's air. an amazing, it's an amazing approach. And sometimes I teach, you know, that, that kind of approach where we're proactively, you know, soliciting their, their kind of feedback and, you know, taking their temperature, engaging their interests at the start of the agenda. And sometimes I do it after where, you know, after delivering the agenda, I might just say, but you know, that's just what I was thinking would be helpful to talk through. Like, what's the most important thing that you want to cover here? What do you want to make sure that you come away, um, you know, from this meeting with? So regardless of where it is, that is a vital beat, which signals really clearly, I'm interested in you and your needs and want to shape the meeting around them, right? Um, And, you know, another really kind of vital place, I think, to create increase feelings of safety is so it's as i said it's called disarm and the r in disarm is real talk mm. i call it and it's basically like an honesty or transparency pact kind of like an upfront contract i guess but you know where you where you say something like um you know i just want to say i'm a super straight shooter so you know if at any moment this feels like not what you were hoping for or maybe the the worst thing you've ever heard of or anything in between right do i have your word you'll be straight with me or can i count on you to be straight with me and once you get that buy-in there from your prospect, then you can say, great. And look, you know, as I have this conversation with you, you know, if it if it starts to feel like I'm not your sales coach and, you know, in, in an example, in a conversation between me and a prospect, like I will absolutely let you know. And if there's anybody that I can think of referring you to, I'll make sure to do that too. And it just totally takes the pressure out of the whole situation and, you know, kind of counterintuitively when you give people permission to say no and to resist, uh, they're less likely to. I wrote this down. Can I count on you to be straight with me? Um, hi. <laughs> That's where the, everyone listening to the last 17 minutes, like build that in. Wouldn't we just right? all love it if our prospects felt safe enough and we created that safety where we just, let's like lay it on the table. Can I count on you to be straight with me? And I do believe that that is earned, right? You have to I don't know. Me personally, you have to tell me that. Me personally, I would use that sentence later in the conversation or that question, uh, that statement later Mm. in the conversation because I want to make sure that I have the early part of that relationship and that trust building. And I would use that before I go into more of the heavier uh, negotiation part of the conversation or fine tuning details and really trying to understand, are we aligned here? Do we have something more to talk about? And so that's where I would bring in that statement. Where do you typically suggest injecting that type of statement into the conversation? So there are two places. And again, this is a place where like if at any moment you can say that in the conversation, that is a really great thing. And most salespeople don't do that. I tend to do it early on to really set the tone right kind of at the end of the agenda before I get into the meat of the meeting. But another really good place to do it is before you start to quote unquote pitch, right? And share about what your product does because, you know, or your service does. Because at that moment, 
you know, people are anticipating you were going to be going into hard sales mode where they lose their autonomy. And I think there's nothing more powerful than saying, look, I'm, you know, I'm about to give you a sense of what we do based on everything you've shared. But I just want to say, like, if at any moment this isn't interesting or you've got a question or you're realizing this just isn't for you, you know, do I have your word? You'll be straight with me or can I count on you to be straight with me? And that's a really great kind of disarming moment to establish those ground rules. And then the best part about it, Mary, I find, and this just helps cut ghosting off of the pass entirely, is that towards the end of your meeting, you can say, look, early on, we made a pact. Like, (laughs) how are you feeling, right? And reminding them that however they're feeling is okay, but, but our job is not just to get to a kind of yes or a non-answer. It's to get to the truth, right? And if the truth is no, how much better is it for us to know that now than four or five weeks later when they've ghosted us and we're hounding them by email and leaving them a million voicemails, you know? Yeah, that's fun. Um, I really like the confidence (laughs) that you have because actually it's a little infectious to me because I wouldn't I guess it would be outside of my comfort level to ask a question that bold in the beginning. As I said, I I would feel better if I had earned the opportunity to ask that question. Sure. But even just hearing your confidence in it gives me confidence. Like, no, Mary, it's really okay. (laughs) And it works. So so thank you uh, for sharing in that. So we we have a few minutes left here. Was there another specific tactic that you wanted to discuss? Or should we spend some time talking about empathy specifically? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of starting to lay the foundation for like safety and collaboration and transparency, I think those are are three really kind of easy to implement tactics. And I'd be happy to talk through, um, you know, all of the myriad of ways that that empathy positively impacts, you know, human relationships. We have to remember that we are in relationships with our prospects when we were selling and selling relationships as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's hear it. Want me to talk about it? I do. I'm all in. I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm taking notes throughout this podcast, which I don't always do. Like, Jordana, teach me. <laughs> Go. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, so I think, you know, pretty pretty frequently, you know, we talk about the importance of empathy in terms of understanding our prospects' worlds, right? The worlds of the of their industries and and how their problems manifest and and you know really how our product or solution could live and breathe in you know the very real world of our prospects you know daily lives and that of course is super important but i also like to think about um you know leveraging empathy in for example our our prospecting and you know i alluded to that a little bit before and it's less about understanding you know our prospects industries and their problems when we're prospecting, though that is, of course, important. But really understanding what it feels like to be on the receiving end of outreach. Oh, good. And how that can potentially change everything. Um, you know, for example, Mary, like how full is your email inbox right now? I'm a zero inboxer, so you that's are. unfair because <laughs> I – but to be zero inbox, I will be very honest with you. I delete heavily. I don't give any email the time of day unless I have an inkling that it could be like a networking connection or anything that has to do with someone wanting to buy from us. But I will judge by the subject line, the sender, and I know immediately in the preview, I will make a decision in probably less than one second on if I'm opening the email or delete it. I will not read any pitches. Now, a few subject lines have caught my attention 
And Mm -hmm. I've actually bought those services because the salesperson knew who I was. They knew the problem that I had. It was extremely relevant. They just got me and they just, they just knew. I mean, it was like a brilliant, perfect timing, perfect connection. And and we've made purchases because of that. But otherwise, um, so I'm probably the opposite. You know, I'm not drowning in emails where I don't have time to look at it or not getting to it. I'm actually just hyper in delete mode. So I probably actually delete some good stuff. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Well, that will say it got inbox zero. The, anyone who's able to get there is a hero of mine. But <laughs> so what I would say, you know, around around your typical, let's say, decision makers email inbox is that it is chocked full, right? Of people wanting time or attention or money. And oftentimes, you know, I encourage folks who are prospecting to take themselves out of, let's say, I call it cadence alley, like out of their sales loft cadence menu or whatever you call it, and to replace that image of what they're looking at with their prospect's inbox, just in their mind, like a simple, empathetic switch of imagery. And to my mind, simply picturing your prospect's chocked full inbox, an inbox full of kind of takey asks, right, asking Mm -hmm. for time or money or whatever, really should change everything about the kinds of emails we send. And I know that like Josh Braun has some beautiful templates for, um, you know, the, the kind of empathetic emailing that I'm talking about, Jason Bay as well. But like at a super fundamental level outside of for, you know, kind of formula-based templates, it's like if your prospect's inbox is as full as it probably is, should an email be long or should it be short? Short. Should it be jargony or should it be relatable? Relatable. Should it be about your product and all of your services or about your prospect and their world? Prospect and their world. Keep going. I love okay. this test. Should, yes, I'm right? winning. Should it be? I mean, and this is the great thing is like you don't even have to really know anything about selling and selling techniques to just at a basic intuitive level understand this. Like, should it be assumptive or what I call autonomous? Like, should we be assuming their interest and wanting to book time or should we be giving them the choice and pulling them in to see if they're interested in it? Yeah, give them the choice for goodness sakes. Exactly. Right. So the, and what's amazing. And like, whenever I lead this workshop and offer up these, these possibilities, everyone always gets it right. Yet 90% of sales emails that even I get, you know, as a small solopreneur are none of these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's like a really quick example of using like basic human intuitive empathy, substituting our prospects world from ours and our tasks and our cadences to change how we behave as prospectors. This is so beautiful. I love thinking about how the message is being received versus how it's being delivered and or created. And and this is a shift and mental mindset that I think is going to help all of our listeners today. It is a great way for us to start winding down here. I would love for you to either drop one last nugget of wisdom as you have done throughout the entire 25 minutes we've been together, um, or we can just move right into how people connect with you regardless, wisdom or connect, ready, go. <laughs> Let's do connect because whenever I have anything resembling wisdom to share, it always lands on my LinkedIn page. I, I post videos and, and content almost every week. So the best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn, not on my company page, but on my personal page. And it's, you know, linkedin.in slash Jordana Zeldin. Great. You can also find Jordana's profile at salesbq.com. She's one of our featured coaches and trainers. You can read her profile, learn what she does. Really easy way to submit a form to grab a conversation with her. Thank you everybody for listening today. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Quota Crusher podcast. Did you like it? 
Be sure to give us a rating and share it with your friends. And don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Lastly, if your company needs a boost in revenue, like real revenue growth, send me a message and we'll discuss how our team builds revenue engines for our clients, covering all facets like marketing, sales, rev ops, and customer success. Until next time.